Our first scripture reading this morning is from the fifth chapter of the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, found on page 193 in the New Testament of your Pew Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are doing. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Our gospel lesson from the 25th chapter according to the gospel of Matthew. We're moving now into the 14th verse, and we'll read through the 30th. A familiar story, the parable of the talents. It is as if a man is going on a journey, said Jesus, who summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. At once the one who had received the five talents went off and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I've made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him 
and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Don't you love the word gnashing? It just sort of sounds like what you're doing. Anyway, let's uh, uh, pray so that we don't have more distractions. You give to us your word. But so much more than you also give to us ears to hear it. You give us whole lives to enact it. You give us the privilege of taking that word and making it live in our lives and the lives around us. Give to us that gracious vitality in Christ's name. Today's parable from the Gospel of Matthew is about risk management. Risk management, it's a whole discipline. Three slaves were granted fiduciary responsibility for their master's assets. They're to work in the best interest of the owner. Now, this past week, we've had a fire hose of news about poor fiduciary relationships, right? Sam Brickman-Fried and George Santos, both entrusted with resources. Brickman-Fried, with capital from investors hoping to make it big in cryptocurrency, whatever that is. Santos, on the other hand, for his congressional campaign. Both have been found to function not in the best interest of their clients, but in their own self-interest. The sensational aspect of these two stories has not focused on what they were supposed to be doing with that money, but on their lavish spending. Flashy clothes, expensive trips, whole houses in the case of Brinkman Freed for his parents. I'll bet Dad was proud. Botox treatments. And ironically, significant campaign contributions that were made by Brinkman Freed with his investors' money. Makes you wonder, are they being punished for stealing, or are they just being punished for being way too flashy with what they had stolen? In both cases, people invested in these crooks because they promised what it was that the investors were hoping would happen. We didn't give you money to make you rich and powerful. We gave you made money to make us rich and powerful. And they played off the aspirations of their investors in order to gain more contributions. I mean, he must know what he's doing. He looks so successful. They created the illusion of telling people what they wanted to hear. And now Santos and Brinkman Freed are most likely going to jail. I'm sure you've seen the meme online or on a t-shirt that says, when God puts a calling in your life, God has already taken into account your stupidity. And usually that's followed with the most comforting thing I've ever heard. When God gives to us fiduciary responsibility, God knows of what we are 
made. As the psalmist says, he remembers that we are dust. And so God entrusts us with full, advanced disclosure. In the distribution of the talents in our parable today, each was entrusted, Matthew says, that Jesus pointed out, in accordance with his ability. Each in accordance with his ability. There was one with five, there was one with two, there was one with one. Each of the slaves takes on the master's risk only insofar as the master is comfortable with the potential loss that was being risked in that relationship. Of course, as the parable goes on, the master returns and comes back, frankly, to a pretty good portfolio. He has invested eight talents in total, for those of you who struggle with math. Five plus two plus one, that's eight. And he comes back with a seven-talent profit. That's 87.5% return. You think in general the master would have been rather delighted. Anything that gave you 87.5% is probably something that we should look at with our first fund. But rather than being delighted with his total return, the master is upset with the one poor performing slave who did absolutely nothing in his absence. Traditionally, now this is the point in the story where the preacher, that's me, tells you, the congregation, uh, that the problem is our risk aversion, and it's the risk aversion of the third slave. He didn't even deposit his asset in the bank where he could have gotten some return. No, he buried it in the ground and behaved so irresponsibly. Each of us, I'm supposed to say, has been entrusted with talents. Isn't it great how that word functions as a pun? It's actually talent was a measure of weight back when King James translated the Bible. Uh, but we left that King James term talent because it just works so well. Because I can talk to you about your time and your skills and your gifts and ability. And actually the whole time I'm talking about your money. Traditionally, that's the way it goes. And each of us, I am supposed to say, has been entrusted with talents and that we're supposed to use them for the building up of the kingdom of God so that when the king returns seeking an accounting, we do not find ourselves insufficiently serving the one who has given us all that we have. That's a simple interpretation, and frankly, it's quite obvious to whom much is given, much will be expected. And that the parable falls the week after we asked you to turn in your pledge form seems like low-hanging fruit to be able to tell you what this parable is all about. A simple association, the appeal to those who still have outstanding pledge forms, please do not make us cast you in outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't keep it buried. Now, that except these little stories told by Jesus, I'm sure you know by now, are significantly more nuanced. They can be read and reread, and levels upon levels of understanding can unfold. That's why we do this parable every couple of years from the pulpit. It's not like the third guy had spent his talent on wine and women and song he didn't have receipts for Botox treatments. He didn't go off and get Ferragamo red sneakers. He just simply buried it, and frankly, his punishment to me has always seemed a little ridiculously harsh. 
This is supposed to be a good master who takes care of his servants, and this guy gets slapped around significantly. What happens in the parable, we learn, is that this guy took what the master had and protected it and returned it. It was a simple safety deposit box transaction. And it seems rather upsetting that for just simply holding on, he ends up being punished. It's high stakes. And the master calls him lazy. But the punishment for the third slave is not based on his risk aversion. He is punished because of his attitude toward the master. It's right there in verse 24. Master comes back, he says, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you didn't sow, and gathering where you did not scatter, so I was afraid, and I wouldn't hid your talent in the ground, and here, have what's yours. I was afraid, he says. The word is phobos, from which we get phobia. I know you're a harsh man, he says. You reap where you do not sow, you gather where you do not scatter, and I had a phobia about people like you, so I did nothing for your advantage. Sound different, doesn't it? Verse 26, the master even repeats those words that the slave had just said to him. So, you know I don't reap where I sow, you know I don't gather where I scatter. Is that what you think of me? In short, the slave is saying, I think you're a jerk. And I didn't want to touch anything on your behalf. So here, have your stupid talent. What gets us so riled up about the Brinkman Freed and Santos scandals is their complete disregard of their investors. The days they had watch for stories about contributors and investors who were impoverished and had given them resources in hope. You know, the widow, the person on a pension, hoping that this contribution would improve their lot. What we find repulsive is their complete disregard for their investors as people. The power of this parable isn't the caution of a failed return. It is the complete disdain for the one who had made the investment in him in the first place. He could have taken risks and frankly could have lost the whole thing, the whole talent. He could have come back and said to the master, you know what, I did my best. It's a good thing you only gave me one because I'm really bad at it and it is gone. And the master would not have punished him. Remember, he already took the slave's stupidity into his account. What the master did not calculate was that the slave was hostile. He didn't bother with risk because he thought the master was a jerk, and for that, he was thrown out of the firm. Not because he did not risk, but because he did not want to see his master succeed. As with all parables of Jesus, this story is about many things, but among the many things is about our view of God's world. While the Master is gone, how do we perceive the world around us? 
Do we see beyond the hostilities and the corruptions to the glorious promise of God's kingdom? Or do we hunker down in our own phobias and anxieties and fear everything and so do nothing? This is Paul's question in 1 Thessalonians that Emily read to us at the beginning of verse 9. God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are doing. The game is not rigged against us. Our master is not harsh, our master is not cruel, our master is not looking to punish us for failure. Christ has invested in us so that we might share in God's realm. Note the parable, when he takes it from the third slave, he says, give it to the one who has ten. The one who has ten. He doesn't say, give it to the guy who did well with my money. He says, give it to the guy who now has ten of his own, and I will add that to him. The surprise of the first two slaves is that they are now the beneficiaries of the very assets that were risked into their care. The way it is supposed to work is that we share in the labor and the return. We share in the benefits and enter into the joy of the master. In the parable, they move from being slaves to independent. Which brings me to Thanksgiving, just a couple of days away. At some point on Thursday, you're going to be handed a thanker chief. I had no idea what a thanker chief was until this past week. Did you grow up with the table with the thanker chief? Is that something that's happened in your home? Okay. Let me explain to the rest of you because somebody had to explain it to me. Um, our Faith Forest kids are going to be making thanker chiefs to bring home. So you won't have to rely on what they tell you it's for. You'll have already been informed. It is a napkin. And they have little craft tubes that it's going to be inside and it goes around the table. And when you take the napkin out and you're holding this napkin, you have to say what you are thankful for. And then you pass it to the next person, and that person says what they're thankful for, and it goes all the way around the table. Whether you use a thankerchief or not, at some point, I hope, on Thanksgiving, someone says, well, for what are you thankful? At some point, you'll be asked to give an accounting. And here's the challenge of the parable of talents. A challenge I hope we take up this Thursday. The first two slaves were completely grateful for the opportunity. Here's some talent, said their master. Knock yourself out. And we know they're grateful. How do you know they're grateful? Because they do. They go out and they try. The third one, not so grateful. He He completely resented the wealth of the master, and so he hunkers down like a miser. If you missed Joe Yount's prayer of confession last Sunday, go online, look it up, and take a listen because he talks about what it means to be a miser and ungrateful. That's 
the third slave. It has perhaps been rough for you in your home this past year. This Thanksgiving may set up a consideration of the last 12 months where you find it hard to be grateful. You maybe were only given one talent. And it seems like everybody else got so much more. And you're sitting there with your singular talent, feeling a little resentful, a little miserly. You hold on to it. You're not going to risk anything. I suggest that we consider being grateful, not just for what it is that we have, but for the vast wealth of our collective blessings. Can you be thankful for those around you, for their success, for their talents, for their blessings? The Apostle Paul said we're not destined for wrath. And the witness of blessing of others should remind us of the interconnection to the full kingdom of God. I'll confess that going into this Thanksgiving, our household has been a difficult one. I will give you that. But we are not discouraged. Why? Because we merely need to lift up our heads and witness how God has blessed all of us around the table. One may lack, but all celebrate in the return, provided they are grateful and they share. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand and join with me in our affirmation of faith, the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born by the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 